Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Feldman, and welcome to What Women Must Know. If you're joining me for the very first time, it's great to have you here. And this show is dedicated. It's all about providing you with a range of knowledge and information that allows you to make truly informed decisions in your life. If you're not able to have the ability to learn and glean from many perspectives, it's really difficult to find your way and to truly step into your power of what's the best possible outcome for you. So uh, I'm so glad you're joining me because we have uh, a very fascinating conversation, as we do every week on What Women Must Know. And today we're talking with Dr. Anthony Chaffee, and we're talking about uh, a rather controversial subject, at least it, it has been for me. It's called Can Meat Really Heal? The Evidence for the Carnivore Diet. So before we begin, let me just share a little bit about Dr. Chaffee. Dr. Anthony Chafee is a medical doctor and former professional rugby player and uh, is giving a fresh lease on life to thousands of people around the world by professionally helping them shed weight and optimize health without any medication and helping to revitalize their lives and activities. As a medical doctor, uh, Dr. Chafee has conducted years of thorough research and study on devising ways to treat ailments differently and naturally through dietary methods, physical exercise, and other lifestyle changes with scientifically supported methods. Entering the university at the early age of 16, Dr. Chafee was also an All-American rugby player and played professionally in England, America, and Canada for 10 years before attending medical school. Since then, he has made a reputation for himself as a medical practitioner who not only helps people through traditional Western medical practices, but also has helped thousands enter a new healthy life by bidding adieu to their lifestyle-related conditions with his advice and guidance. Currently a neurosurgical resident in Perth, Australia, Dr. Chafee also works in a private functional medicine practice treating obesity and chronic disease patients in Perth and elsewhere through video consultations. He is credited with successfully reversing multiple illnesses and reducing or even eliminating the need for medications for many hundreds of people. So we have a fantastic conversation, and I'd like to welcome Dr. Anthony Chaffee to What Women Must Know. Anthony, it's great having you here. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. So um, I just want to share with everyone... um, uh, you know, I have gone through various stages of my life, as I'm sure many people have, from a vegetarian and then more recently more keto-orientated. And the idea of, to me, was a crazy idea of going on an all-meat carnivore diet. seems like the farthest thing I would ever do, ever in my life. However, I have to tell people, that is what I am doing now. And I'm doing it, and I haven't really shared this with um, my audience before, But I'm doing this because this is the diet that best supports the healing journey that I am personally on because uh, I have been diagnosed with a brain tumor. So I'm sure it's a shock to those listening as it was to me. And um, as a result, and it's considered a terminal brain tumor, by the way, so it's put me into high gear of searching wherever I need to go And letting go of any previous beliefs, um, uh, ideas, uh, you know, just everything has to be reevaluated 
because it's my life that's on the line. So it's been an amazing journey over the last several months, and I'm so grateful to have been introduced to Dr. Anthony Chafee and um, the wisdom that he has and the experience that he has. So that's how I'm starting up this interview, and uh, I, I just look forward to everything we're going to be talking about today, Dr. Chafee. So thanks so much for being with us. Uh, absolutely. I, I hope that this is helpful to, to you and everyone else listening. Well, I feel really positive, and I feel right now I've, I've incorporated and researched so many resources, so I'm, you know, I'm on my journey. What can I say? I'm on my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the concept of a carnivore diet for most people is, is challenging, right? It's challenging because there's been so much... Um, I would say brainwashing against, especially these days, against um, doing all meat diet. And by the way, for me, a carnivore diet is, and I think it is for you too, is all meat. No vegetables, no fruits, (laughs) no nothing, (laughs) just meat, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, I have to say I went to my local farmer's market last weekend and I bought um, grass-fed lamb, venison, um, ribeye, <laughs> liver, <Nice. laughs> everything I could find, <laughs> and uh, nice. it was quite a, you know, revelation. So before we get into the subject, let's talk about you a little bit, because I love asking my guests about their journey, and you've had quite an extraordinary journey, you know, early university, 16, obviously, you were extremely bright, and then and then this rugby player <laughs> portion of your mm-hmm. life this professional rugby player for 10 years, and then medical school. So what was, tell us a little bit about your epiphany, your epiphany on your journey for, you know, being uh, involved with a functional medicine approach, and then how you got introduced to the carnivore diet, and what was that like for you at the beginning? Well, I, I, I like the idea of functional medicine simply because we, we can address root causes. We're not just trying to pick up the pieces. It's, it's more prospective medicine instead of retrospective medicine. At the moment, a lot of medicine now is just waiting for something to be a disaster and then picking up the pieces. And that that leaves a lot of, of uh, money on the table when you're considering that you can, you can actually see these things coming 10 years, 20 years down the track and do something about them now. So instead of waiting until someone has fulminant diabetes and they can't control their blood sugar, why don't you check and see if they're developing insulin resistance and they're having higher levels of insulin uh, 10 years, 15 years early, and then stop that from ever becoming a disaster in the first place. So that sort of idea. So you're addressing, addressing root causes as opposed to just symptom management, disease management. I don't, I don't like that idea. You know, as a doctor, I want to help people and fix people and make them better, not just allow them to perpetuate a disease state in, in a manageable way. You know, sometimes you, there's no avoiding that, but that should not be the norm. And that wasn't the norm up until very recently. The, the disease burden of chronic diseases has only gone up decade after decade after decade. And that wasn't because we weren't taking good statistics. We took excellent statistics for going back 170 years, 200 years. We did not just miss all of these horrible diseases. You know, you don't just miss someone having Crohn's disease and having 
bloody diarrhea 30 times a day. You don't just miss that. You know, no person who's going through that is going to miss that and just didn't realize that they had this horrible disease. So these diseases are getting worse. They're, they're, the rates, the prevalence, the incidence are getting worse decade after decade. And so what is causing that? It's clearly something in our environment. I think it's largely to do with our, the way we're treating our bodies and what the chemicals we're putting into our bodies, uh, both nutritionally but also as supplements and products, beauty products. There's about a million different chemicals that have been patented since the 1970s. These are novel chemicals that haven't existed on this planet before this. What are those doing to your body? You're kidding yourself if you think that they're not doing anything. Our bodies are chemical factories and plants. We're not combustion engines. It doesn't matter what calories are. We, you know, calories heat energy. You burn something and heat escapes. That's not what we do. We're not locomotives. We're not steam locomotives. We're chemical factories. You put chemicals in and on your body, they're going to have chemical reactions with your body. It's as simple as that. And so we're putting the wrong things in our body and we're getting things going wrong. And, uh, and then obviously, you know, the way we're doing exercises plays a huge role in that, sleep, stress, all these other sorts of things. So you can, you can address a lot of root cause issues. And as a result, if you get rid of the root cause, you can oftentimes actually reverse or eliminate a disease in someone. I mean, the amount of people with autoimmunity that, that I've seen and treated with diet and lifestyle and they get off their medications and then they put into remission these very serious autoimmune diseases, which normally are just barely manageable and sometimes unmanageable. Um, I'm getting people in, into complete remission and it's pretty amazing. And it's not just me. It's not just I have the magic touch or something like that. People that apply these exact same principles all around the world are having the exact same results. And so I really like that side of things because it it does seem to address the underlying root cause of these diseases. Uh, I absolutely love neurosurgery as well because it's fascinating. The brain and the nervous system are fascinating. And being able to fix those disasters. Someone has a major problem, an accident, an injury, they shatter their spine in an accident, they hit their head and they're bleeding, uh, they have a tumor, they have all sorts of other problems. It is amazing that you can go in and fix these things. So I absolutely love that side of it too, but I, I really enjoy having the the added practice of uh, the functional medicine side of things, the, the preventative medicine side of things, where I can actually address root causes as well. Um, the way I came to eating a carnivore diet was actually 24 years ago when I was doing my undergraduate degree at the University of Washington in Seattle. And I had studied botany. I'd studied biology. I was pre-med, so you, you study all these sorts of different biological sciences. And, and, and I took a class on cancer biology, which I thought was going to be interesting. You know, I was very interested in cancer, you know, wanting to be a doctor. And we learned day one something that I had already been taught in botany and biology that plants have toxins, plants have defense chemicals. This is the means in w with which they defend themselves largely. Plants make about a million different defense chemicals in order to stop animals and insects and fungus from attacking them and eating them. The wild is, you know, the, the nature is wild. It's kill or be killed. Everything's trying to eat everything else. And they're trying to survive and not be eaten by everything else. And so that, that goes for plants as well as animals. And so, you know, since these, these things are under constant attack, they can't be defenseless. They're literally sitting ducks. They can't move. They can't run away. And so they have to have other defenses or they, they would have gone extinct long ago. And that's chemical in nature. A lot of their defenses are chemical in nature. And they can be directly toxic. They can be indirectly 
harmful by just blocking out nutrients. They're called um, anti-nutrients, so they bind and strip out different nutrients from the food that you're eating so you can't absorb them or actually get into your bloodstream and start pulling out minerals from your body and your bloodstream and other things that are that are hormonal disruptors, things that can cause disruption for specific or, organs like your thyroid called goitrogens, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, 2,500 different plants actually use cyanide, which are directly toxic to your mitochondria, which is probably something we're going to come back to when we're speaking about cancer, because cancer seems to be a product of mitochondrial damage and disease. And so that's that's really not something that you want. And so we were learning this from, from a cancer perspective. And we were learning that all of these different plants had toxins, but some of those toxins were known to be carcinogenic, both in humans and animals. And so we learned 24 years ago that Brussels sprouts mm. had already had identified in them 136 known carcinogens and that mushrooms had over 100, but also spinach and broccoli and kale and cucumber and zucchini and all these other plants and fruits and vegetables that we've all been eating and told for the last 50 years or just the height of, of good health to eat that they actually had dozens, if not over 100, known carcinogens in them. And so we were very taken aback by that, and we, we were <laughs> very blown away. And I remember being shocked, and we were all looking around wildly as to, you know, what would see if there was anybody in on the joke, if there was something like laughing in the corner, and there wasn't. And we eventually settled <laughs> down, and I remember thinking to myself, well, but but vegetables are still good for you, though, right? And he just looked at us, and he just sort of gave us a funny look, and he said, he said, you know, I don't eat salad. I don't eat vegetables. I don't let my kids eat vegetables. Plants are trying to kill you. <laughs> so I said, okay, no more plants. And I just I went to the store. I was a bit shell shocked, and I didn't really know what to what to what to do. And I was just walking around the store, and it was and I saw that just everything had plants in it. Everything was made with or by plants, and and so I, I didn't know what I could buy. And I just came across some eggs. I said, okay, I guess eggs. Eggs don't come from plants. And I guess meat. Meat doesn't come from plants. And that's what I ate. For five years after that, I never felt better. I never performed better as an athlete or as a student than when I was than when I was eating that way. My performance in both arenas just went through the roof. And I just felt better and better and better and better and better. And... I ended up slipping off of that because I didn't I didn't have the information that we have available now on the internet and books that that were telling people, hey, no, actually this is this is just the way to go and here's why. I just knew I wasn't going to eat plants and so I just stopped it. And then I started slipping off it because I was living in England, I was playing uh, professional rugby over there, and some of the meat was breaded. I didn't have the same access that I did in the states. And um, it's just little crumbs. It wasn't even like you know KFC. It was just like little crumbs, like a panko breading, breadcrumbs on some of the chicken. And I, I thought, well, you know, is it that big of a deal? Dose makes the poison. Same arguments people are saying now. Oh, you don't do that. Plants, yes, plants have toxins, but dose makes the poison. The, the dose is really low. And so I just had this chicken with just a bit of breadcrumbs on it a couple times a week, and that was enough to actually significantly affect my health and performance, and I remember a few months into it thinking to myself, why am I not feeling as superhuman amazing as I normally do? 
I was 25 at the time. I, I was like, am I not working out as hard? Am I not pushing myself? Am I just 25? Is that it? I'm, I'm just in my mid to late 20s, and that's when people just start dying. And I, I didn't know. But two months earlier, I felt amazing. Now I didn't. And I didn't know why, and it, and it never came back. I never got to that sort of nirvana, zen, amazing place that I had in my, you know, from 20 to 25. And I was always trying to get back there. And But no matter how hard I worked out, no matter what I did, I never felt the way I did in my early 20s until I was 38. And I came across information. They just said, no, wait, hold on a second. Humans just actually are carnivores biologically as a species. And that's what I was doing. I was eating as a carnivore. We are carnivores. We've been apex predators for at least the last two million years. That's what all the best evidence shows. And just like it, like all animals, we do best on our on our native biologically appropriate diet. This is why you see signs at the zoo and parks that say don't feed the animals because it makes them very sick if they don't eat their own food. If you feed them human food, they will get human diseases. What the hell is a human disease, right? Diabetes heart disease, cancer, liver failure, organ dysfunction, autoimmunity, osteoporosis, arthritis. These are human diseases. And if you feed animals human foods, they get human diseases. Well, doesn't that mean the food is causing the disease? Because if they don't eat the food, they don't get the disease. And we get the food. We get the disease. You know, and we're, you know, but we just get it at, at we just think that's normal. That's just part of aging. Of course it isn't, because you can look at, at other populations uh, before you know, the Western civilization spread to, to the extent that it has now, Native Australians, Native Americans, and other cultures where they were still living in a traditional hunter, hunter-gatherer sort of way, usually just really hunter. Um, they would gather if they had to. If they couldn't get a kill, if they couldn't get meat, they would gather if they had to. And they did not get any of these these diseases that Western cultures and Western people did. Uh, and so they called them Western diseases. These were diseases of the West. People in Western cultures and civilizations had these. There was a book written by a Harvard uh, professor of ethnology, uh, Wilhelmer Stefansson, who uh, was a polar explorer, lived with the Inuit then called the Eskimo. And he wrote a book called The Fat of the Land, how, hey, look, everyone's just eating meat. They're super healthy. I've never been healthier and this is probably what we should be doing. He also wrote a book called Is Cancer a Disease of Civilization? Because these were one of these Western diseases that they knew it simply didn't get. And you can see as these Western cultures and foods have started getting more and more adopted by these these uh, other non-Western cultures that were just eating meat, you start seeing the Western diseases start rising up. So they used to be called Western diseases. Now they're called human diseases because humans just get these diseases. But again, it's that encroachment of the food that is causing the disease. So you get dogs and cats, kibble and grain-based nonsense, things that they're not designed to eat, and they get human diseases. You get, you give animals at the zoo human foods. You give ducks at the park human food. They get human diseases. So just like with the Native Americans who, when eating a, a Western diet, have four times the rates of chronic disease, such as diabetes, cancer, heart disease, autoimmunity, obesity uh, levels are much higher as well. That you know that you know when they're when they're eating a Western diet, they have these higher rates of chronic disease. 
but that's only when eating Western food. And so, again, that means the food is causing the disease because if they don't eat the food, they don't get the disease, just like the Inuit, just like the Native Americans and the Plains Indians. When they were eating just bison, they did not have these rates of disease. As they became more involved in what we wiped out the bison uh, in the late 1800s and they were forced to go to a different food supply, that's when you see these diseases start to rise up. And in the native Inuits, they started, you know, getting more involved in cities and started getting more access to these sorts of foods, even in very remote areas of northern Canada and Alaska. And the rates of cancer slowly but surely start creeping up throughout the 20th century, same with heart disease. It was almost non-existent, even in the 1990s, when they were largely incorporated into Canadian society, the native Inuit population's heart disease rate was still far lower than the rest of Canada, and they started smoking at very early ages sometimes. Uh, some some data shows that they even start as, as young as eight years old smoking. And so obviously very high risk. They're eating all this fat, they're eating blubber, and they're smoking. And so, and they live in high stress, high, um, highly dangerous environments. And so, obviously, that's that's very difficult. That can cause stress. Stress is a major killer. And so, they have all these risk factors. And yet, even still, their heart disease rates are a lot lower than Canadians. Now, at this time, a lot of people were eating other things, and they were living in cities, and they did have access to these sorts of things, which is why you saw basically any in there at all, any heart disease at all. But it was still lower because a lot of them were still eating a lot of fatty meat and they weren't doing uh, eating all the things that we were eating as an entire population. And so they said, well, they must have genetic protections. They must have this special genetic adaptations to live in those icy areas, which if you think about it is wrong because all of our ancestors throughout the ice ages for the last two million years, they've all lived under those conditions and circumstances. Agriculture is new. Eating meat in the ice, that's established. We've been doing that forever. And that's actually what made us such a dominant apex predator was because we were forced to really, you know, assume our, our manifest our destiny as, as these apex predators and, and dominant uh, species. Because of the ice ages, you couldn't survive any other way. And so the Inuit, they're actually living the way we've always lived. So other people, like the Europeans and, and elsewhere, that have had agriculture for the last 10,000 years, or 8,000 years, depending on who you look at. That is the adaptation. That's the new thing. So we're the adaptation. The Inuit, they, that's yeah. established. That's what's, that's been, been going on forever. And so either way, they looked at the genetic, genetics of them, these people and they found, and they looked and see if they were, had these, you know, genetic protections against heart disease. And they found no. No, they had like all the risk factors. They had all the genetic risk factors and none of the protections. Genetically, so they said, well, we don't know what's going on. These people have massively high risk factors, and uh, and they have all the genetic risk factors, and so maybe something else is going on. Maybe these genetic risk factors aren't all that risky. So they sort of, you know, ignored it after that. And then in the 2000s, you start seeing papers saying, well, people say that you would have low heart disease rates, but is that even true? And they start looking at it now. Now, obviously, there are a lot of people living in cities, and the heart disease rate is much higher. But if you look at studies that separate out the Inuit that are still living traditionally, so not as ethnic population, but as a dietary population that are still eating just fatty meat, they have vanishingly small rates of chronic disease. 
even though they smoke and they drink and have still have access to you know different sorts of western food if they're predominantly eating meat much 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 lower rates of these diseases mm-hmm. so i i think looking at that i've well i've since since coming back to this at 38 i've sort of realized this is just who we are as a as a biological species this is this our biologically appropriate diet this is how we should eat and that just like any animals that eat inappropriate foods are going to get you know, inappropriate biological processes going on, and it's going to change their physiology and biochemistry, and that's going to cause harm. And so that's, I've started looking at this from the point of view of a doctor and realizing that all of these different diseases started slotting into place. We have no idea what we're causing all of these autoimmunities and diabetes and heart disease. Now I, I started to understand that this was because we're eating the wrong thing. We're carnivores and we're not living as carnivores, and that, of course, is going to cause harm. It's not going to cause all the problems that we have in the world, but it's going to contribute to a lot of it. And so I, I had a few months where I, I was uh, in between a contract and doing humanitarian work. I was volunteering as a doctor in the refugee camps in Bangladesh, uh, helping the refugees who were escaping genocide in Burma and now called Myanmar. And I had time that I could just start digging through the literature. So I said, okay, what do we know? What can we prove? And I started digging through and just reading studies, as many studies as I could, asking questions and seeing if I could find evidence with which to test those questions against in the literature. And I was spending eight to ten hours a day just reading studies and trying to figure out as much as I could and coming to different conclusions and thinking about things and 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 writing things down and talking to other people and and trying to flesh out my ideas and thoughts that way and then eventually came to a point where I was pretty pretty confident and comfortable with things and I started applying this to my my patients as well and just saw absolutely massive massive improvements in in their health and the literal reversal of diseases that people had heretofore thought as irreversible you know such as autoimmunity and diabetes and so on now now diabetes has been clinically proven to be reversible with a high-fat, meat-based, ketogenic diet. And so, you know, that that's in the literature now, but I saw that myself in my family and in my patients, you know, six years ago. But now more and more studies are coming out as well. So, you know, it's it's nice to be able to have that tool in your arsenal as a doctor to treat these underlying conditions. It's, it's remarkable what you can treat. I, I sort of feel... That I'm, it's sort of funny, you know. They come in to see a doctor, and I'm, I'm telling them they just need to change their diet and lifestyle. And this will fix everything. This will fix a lot of their things, and we can add in medicines and supplements on top of that. But 95% of this is just going to be from diet and lifestyle. You, I mean, you don't need a doctor to tell you that, but for some reason, you know, it, it's easier coming from a doctor. Um, but you know, you, you don't need me to tell you this. This information is, is readily available. Uh, for everybody, but it's it, it works. And as a doctor, uh, I think that it's one of one of the best tools that I've found to to help my patients. And thankfully, uh, more and more doctors around the world are coming to the same conclusion as well. You know, um, this is so fascinating, Anthony, because it flies in the face of so much of the information that you know, as a naturopath, I have been exposed to. So. Can I ask a couple of questions? First of all, how do yeah. you um, 
How do you address the concern about the acid alkaline levels of the body? You know, there's so many people saying, you, you know, you have to be alkaline to be healthy and you have to eat the vegetables and the live foods to maintain alkalinity. As a, and also saying alkaline is a key thing for healing cancers. So how do you address that? Yeah, that is a good question. It is something that comes up a lot. I, I don't know where the origins of that are. I don't know where people are, what people are basing that on. Or if you eat meat, you'll get very acidic. Meat is very acidic. I, I don't know of any acids that are in meat. It doesn't really taste acidic. It doesn't burn your tongue when you chew it. Uh, things like citric acid in different plants and fruit that do burn your mouth when you eat it or give some that, that sort of reaction. So there actually are acids in there that we can name and quantify. And so the idea that all plants are alkaline, all meat is acidic doesn't really make sense to me. So I don't I don't know if that's actually based on anything, but that's just a, an accusation that has just been repeated and repeated and repeated and how people just think that that's true. But a lot of times with these things, I mean, if you ask, okay, what is that based on? Where does that come from? Generally not a very good <laughs> good source. It's just something that's been repeated so much. It's in the it's in the realm of everybody knows, and so everybody knows the meat is acidic. And I was like, okay, well, is it? Like, what's that based on? Like, there's no source for that. Okay, well then maybe it's not. Maybe you don't need to worry about that. The thing about alkalinity and acidity in our blood is that you don't need to micromanage that. Your body does that perfectly. Your blood pH stays between 7.35 and 7.45, or else you get very sick and then you die. If it goes right outside of that, if you're down at 7.3, you will get very sick. If you go up to 7.5, you will get very sick. And if that's not corrected, you can die. So, yes, we do need our blood to be slightly alkaline. But it's not because, oh, we have to eat this and we have to eat this, and that sort of keeps it up at alkaline. Your body does that. Your body has to do that because if it doesn't do that, you die. And so, yes, you can you can do different things if you have alkaline water, if you're just taking a whole bunch of antacids, all that sort of stuff, you can give yourself a, a metabolic al- al- or, or, or a, you know, an alkalosis by adding so much alkaline things into your body. You can overwhelm your system and your body's ability to keep things exactly between 7.5 and 7.35 and 7.45. You can overwhelm your system, but if you were just eating normally, your body, or even abnormally, and you're eating all the junk that we eat now, your body keeps our alkalinity in exactly that level. So you don't need to micromanage this stuff. Also, it does come, it all comes back to first principles. What are we designed to eat? What are we here, um, what is here that is best for us, and what are we biologically adapted to eat? That's meat. And so meat is not going to cause an acidosis or an alkalosis. It's not going to cause cancer or heart disease. It is what we've been eating for millions of years. It's what we're designed to eat. And so you're not going to get abnormal interactions in your body by eating what we've been eating for millions of years without ever having any of these problems. So if if you are having a problem, it's something else. But either way, your body perfectly controls your acidity and alkalinity. Your alkalinity really keeps you just – I mean, 7 is neutral. So we're at 7.35 to 7.45. So we're – very slightly alkaline, but it needs to stay there, and your body keeps it there. So 
it really isn't something that we have to worry all that much on um, in our day-to-day life. Oh, I need to eat this so I keep my alkalinity up. You're not going to do anything. If you actually did force yourself to be more alkaline by taking all these alkaline things, you could kill yourself. So, like, that's really a bad idea. So just, you know, you just live naturally. You eat what your body's supposed to eat. Your body will work the way it's supposed to work. That's pretty much it. Okay. So um, let's talk about the full complement of nutrients that is available in a carnivore diet because I think people eat a lot of fruits and vegetables to get all their vitamins, their minerals, and, of course, we know protein is in in meat, but uh, generally that's, you know, this is how we've been conditioned, right? This is the the, um, how we have been taught that our vitamins and minerals come from fruits, vegetables. But let's talk about the nutrient profile of meat because I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, well, meat has everything you need in the proportion that you need it. That's definitional because we've, we've lived for large periods of our existence uh, as, as you know, only eating meat. You know, the Inuit, they don't have access to anything else. When you're on an ice shelf, nothing grows, right? It's just, it's just animals, right? So animals that eat animals that eat animals that eat animals that eat algae and plankton and things like that, right? So it's, um, that's the food chain. And so that's been the food chain, you know, since time immemorial, uh, but especially during the ice ages. So we know that our species can not only survive but thrive on only meat because we've had to do it for large stretches of our past. You, you can't just eke out survival during an ice age. Those, those very harsh conditions. It's a very harsh environment and lifestyle. You either thrive or you die. And we not only thrive, we became the most dominant species that the planet's ever seen, likely because the, the ice ages forced us into that. So we became the most dominant species during the Ice Ages. So we know we get everything we need from just eating meat. In fact, we have a lot of people doing that now. I haven't eaten a plant or taken a supplement in six years. So, you know, we know that we get everything. And I've tested my blood and I've tested my vitamins and minerals and they're all in optimal levels. In fact, they're better than people on just standard diets. They're they're actually in, in higher, better ranges. So there are, we're still trying to come to grips and understand all the different nutrients that are that are in meat. But there was a there was a recent article that came out that showed that that meat, especially red meat, had upwards of fifty one thousand nutrients, essential nutrients that we don't even have names for and that you that you need. And so this this is the most nutrient dense food out there. You know, we talk about nutrient density in vegetables, but that's that's density compared to what? Density of nutrients compared to calories. So there aren't many calories in spinach, but there are nutrients. So if you say nutrients to calories, oh, very nutrient-dense. But if you're just talking about weight, then meat is, is the king there. So if you have a pound of red meat, that is a, that is a perfect balance of every nutrient that you need for some people for an entire day. Like I'm a bigger guy. I'm 6'3", 240 pounds, and I probably need two, three pounds of meat, fatty meat. And so, but if you try to see how many, how much nutrients are in a pound of spinach, it's not much. And 
you know, and um, you know, so you'll need many, 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 many pounds of spinach to match the certain nutrients that they have in meat. However, there aren't a full complement of nutrients in spinach or any other plant. In fact, the entire plant kingdom and fungus kingdom don't have all the essential nutrients that you have to have. You can only get them from eating meat. And they're locked up. They're not as bioavailable. One of the ways plants defend themselves is by locking their nutrients up in chemical bonds that animals can't access them. And meat doesn't need to do that. They're mobile. They're moving around. They have kinetic defenses. They can fight you. They can stomp you. They can run away. But plants are sitting there. They have to have, they have to have inherent defenses if you try to eat it because things are going to try to eat it. So they have to be harmed by eating it. So they don't have as many nutrients. They have nutrients that are locked up and unavailable. They have anti-nutrients that block out and strip out even bioavailable nutrients, the anti-nutrients, and they have things that are directly toxic. They also have things that disrupt our hormones, make it difficult for us to breed and have kids and, and teach our kids to eat that plant. So meat doesn't need to do that. It doesn't need to have all these defenses. So it's once you are able, it, it's harder to subdue and kill an animal, especially a large animal like a mammoth, but once you do, that is the most nutrient-dense food that exists on this earth, especially, you know, the meat and the organs. Organs are extraordinarily nutrient-dense. In fact, you get too much. You, know, you get too much liver. You can get you know, vitamin A toxicity. The polar bear liver has so much vitamin A that it will kill you, right? So you need to just yeah. stick to muscle meat uh, in those conditions like up in the polar north. So these things have... All the nutrients you need, all the amino acids you need, but the important thing is in the proportion that you need them. You know, if you have B vitamins that get out of proportion, if you get too much thiamine, a lot more thiamine or another B vitamin, it can actually give a relative deficiency in the other B vitamins and, and your body doesn't work quite well. The amino acids that you need, you need them in a certain proportion because they're not just there to build muscle. They're there to build all of your proteins, your DNA codes for proteins. And so... You use all those amino acids to make the molecules that your that your DNA is coding for, so they can go interact with all the other molecules in your cell and in your body, so that you can function as an organism. And so these are used as structural components. They're not just burned up and used as fuel. It's another reason why the whole calorie metric is is pretty uh, out of date. And um, but you need you need a proportion of these things. You need a certain amount of leucine. You need a certain amount of of, of um, you know, baling and all these other sorts of um, arginine, all these sorts of things, you need them in the right proportion. Because if you're trying to build proteins and you need a certain percentage of leucine and valine and all that sort of stuff, and you're just and you're just short on leucine, you're not making any of those proteins. It stops once you run out of leucine, and so all of your your protein production just stops. And so what meat does, it has a perfect proportion of proteins. Plants don't. You can get a complete protein, meaning you can get all the so-called essential amino acids that are traditionally considered essential, um, but you won't get them in the proportion that you need them. So that can cause problems as mm -hmm. well. But also there are things that are, are considered non-essential amino acids like carnitine, but that's, that's not actually true. Um, only 70% of people make enough carnitine. The other 30% don't make enough or any at all and they have to get it from their diet. 
you can actually develop autism. Your child can develop autism if they don't have enough carnitine. This was shown by Texas A&M uh, that, that uh, vegans and vegetarians were getting higher rates of, of uh, children with autism, and they found that this was because they had a relative carnitine deficiency, that some of these kids weren't able to make carnitine to a sufficient extent. And because of their vegetarian vegan diets, they weren't getting it from their diet and their, and their brain wasn't developing properly. Carnitine is, is integral for neuronal development and mitochondrial function. And when you don't have enough of it, you don't get proper mitochondrial development, you don't get proper neuronal development, and they can develop this, this form of autism completely preventable. So this is not something they were just born with. It's just that there's, this is their destiny, their preordained destiny. No. This was something that happened to them that affected their development and that could have been easily prevented by just having meat in their diet and having enough carnitine. Um, one of the, really the only sort of uh, detraction people have, well, you're not going to get enough vitamin C. Okay. And so they said, well, you can't, you can't get everything you need from meat. And I was like, well, you can't actually. I and mean, obviously we have in the past historically and prehistorically. Um, I am right now, and you know, but they say, well, you're not going to get enough vitamin C. Well, the thing is, depending on what you eat, you need a different proportion of vitamins and minerals. So our recommended daily allowances were figured out at the time when we were eating a mixed diet. We're eating carbohydrates, we're eating plants, we're eating meats, we're eating fats, we're eating all these sorts of different things. And when you're eating a different constellation of foods, you need a different constellation of nutrients. A, because of these anti-nutrients that exist in plants, you're going to need, you're just going to need more uh, to overwhelm that capacity, but also because of how your body interacts with these nutrients. So vitamin C, for instance, it chemically, it looks like a fructose molecule with a little tail on it. And so it actually competes for binding sites with the GLUT4 receptor in the body. So if you're eating a lot of carbohydrates, that can overwhelm your body's ability to absorb vitamin C. So it's just taking up all these these uh, sugar molecules instead of the vitamin C molecules. So it really overwhelms your body's ability to, to absorb vitamin C, and you need an abundance of vitamin C as a result. So it's been, it's been estimated that if you're eating carbohydrates, you need vitamin C measured in milligrams, whereas when you're eating... If you're not eating carbohydrates, you need vitamin C measured in nanograms. So that's a millionth of a milligram. So it's a big difference, right? And so uh, there is vitamin C in meat. It's just very small, and if it's below, you know, a certain amount per portion, they'll just say, yeah, there's none. But there actually is some, and there's certainly enough for for our needs. Also, liver has more vitamin C, uh, you know, per unit weight than apples. Right, so you know, again, the organs have a have a much more dense nutrient structure. But also, what is vitamin C for? We say, oh my gosh, you're going to get scurvy. I don't have scurvy. I've tested my vitamin C. If that were true, I should have scurvy because my vitamin C was very low. But you don't actually get scurvy if you're eating a lot of meat. Here's why: vitamin C hydrolyzes, uh, or it catalyzes a reaction that hydrolyzes proline and lysine. And so you need hydroproline, hydrolysine in order to bind, to get very properly bound, tightly structured collagen. Um, 
meat has a ton of hydroproline and hydrolysin already, though. And so if you're eating a lot of meat, you actually don't need it. And so historically, the reason that, that the British were called limeys was because the sailors in front of the mast, so like just the normal deckhands, the normal sailors, not the officers, they were getting scurvy, but they were being fed a bunch of gruel and grog and nonsense, right? It was just, it was just like rum. porridge, basically. Yeah, and rum. And, the, and they, they were getting scurvy, but the officers actually weren't because they had meat in their, in their diet. And the French and the Spanish, they all made fun of the English. That's why they called them limeys. It was a pejorative. It wasn't all the nations, all the, the seafaring nations that had to carry limes on board to stop, stop scurvy. It was, it was just the English, and that's why the English were called limeys. And they, they, were, they, they made fun of them. That was, that was them being made fun of. Oh, limeys, these guys think you have to eat limes. They're like idiots. But the other, other people were eating meat. You know, the Vikings just ate, had barrels of salted meat that they would take on these massive sea voyages. Leif Erikson, you know, a thousand years ago, crossed the Atlantic and made it to North America, it seems. That was on barrels of meat. They didn't get scurvy. So you don't get scurvy if you eat meat because you have the collagen, the precursors to the collagen that you already need. So you don't need to make um, collagen de novo. You don't need to make this hydroproline, hydrolysine de novo. There are things that we use vitamin C for, but it's, it's a vanishingly small amount, and you certainly get enough of what you need, you know, from, from the meat that you're eating. Um, and, you know, there's other things. People say manganese. You need more manganese. You don't get enough of this in, in, in meat. And yet, you know, what is manganese used for? It's used to process and, and digest plants, basically. And if you're not taking in the plants, you don't need as much manganese. So you just need a different proportion of things depending on what you're eating. So we need to get a whole new set of RDAs for, for meat. Uh, you know, people say, well, there's not enough, there's not enough. Uh, calcium and eggs to, for your bones, and it's like, well, do chickens have bones? I mean, I'm pretty sure they do, and yet, you know, that they only came from all the nutrients that were in that egg, were what the chicken used to then make bones with that those nutrients. So, um, and then also we we just see this practically uh, when you when you give people say. Um, there was a study back in the 1950s with spinach, and they found if you, if you put this through a mass spectrometer, you'll see all this iron, all this calcium, all these nice nutrients in spinach. And so they said, okay, well, we'll give people spinach to raise their calcium levels. But what happened is actually they lowered their calcium levels. And I go, like, oh, well, why is that? Well, the calcium is bound up in ways that we can't access, not bioavailable. And, and spinach also has a toxin called oxalate that goes into your blood, turns into oxalic acid. And if anybody has ever tried to, to remove rust from the side of their house, they could mix up oxalic acid and water and scrub this away, just strips the rust off your, off your walls and off your uh, house. Um, it does that with calcium too. So that's one of these anti-nutrients that binds to these minerals and strips them out of your blood. And so this is why 75% of your ca- uh, kidney stones are calcium oxalate stones. In fact, here in Australia, Liam Hemsworth, the actor, actually put himself in the hospital with acute oxalate poisoning because he ate spinach, uh, uh, green spinach smoothies every morning for three weeks. And he had massive uh, kidney stones and he had to get emergency surgery and he was very unwell. So, you know, these, um, you know, these, these nutrients that we need, we need a certain amount of calcium. Well, we need a certain amount of calcium 
because we're eating things with oxalates, we're eating things with these plants, anti-nutrients are actually stripping it out, stopping us from absorbing it, and forcing us to, to need to overwhelm that system in order to get just, just anything with it. So it's, oh, there's not enough zinc, there's not enough this, there's not enough that. And yet you see people surviving and having optimal levels of all of these nutrients when just eating meat, like the Native Americans, like the Native Inuits, like the Native Australians. Like, and like you, like you. And, well, exactly, yeah, and all, all the millions of people around the world doing this now, exactly. You know, and I, I test, I would, I, so Anthony, can I, just, no I don't want to end this conversation, Anthony, if I can, I don't want to end this conversation without acknowledging the various health issues that have been reversed by people who've chosen to mm-hmm. do this carnivore diet. Can you just list some of the conditions that you have seen or know of that are healed um, by people who've chosen oh, yeah. to do a carnivore diet? Yeah, well, it, it is amazing, and I, I think if, if people go on some of these forums, uh, there's, there's actually just some YouTube uh, Facebook pages. Oh, sorry, uh, Facebook pages um, with carnivore groups have been around for 20 years with things like zero-carb health and zeroing in on health with tens of thousands of people. And you just look for any disease you care to look for. There will be people showing how this affected them. Um, I see in my, my personal practice people with autoimmunity completely uh well, improving dramatically and eventually reversing if they're able to stick with like a, just a meat and water diet, really red meat and water diet is best for autoimmunity. But things like Hashimoto's disease, I have over 100 patients with Hashimoto's disease. Every single one has been able to go on a carnivore diet, has improved, and some have fully put it into remission. Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis. I mean, this is something that kills people. And there are, I have a number of patients with multiple sclerosis that put this into, into remission. And I've spoken to, I, I mean, I don't even know how many hundreds of people, uh, you know, that have emailed me and messaged me that have multiple sclerosis. I mean, I've, I've received, I don't know how many tens of thousands of messages at this point with people telling me the dramatic things that they've improved. But, uh, hundreds with multiple sclerosis specifically. I run into people uh, just on the street. One of my neighbors stopped me and said, oh, I didn't know you lived here. I've watched, I've watched you on YouTube. I completely uh, reversed my, my MS, my multiple sclerosis. You know, pretty amazing. Rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, gout. Everyone says that gout is caused by red meat. It's not. We've been treating gout and rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's and ulcerative colitis since the 1800s by putting people on a pure red meat and water diet. And um, I mean, this is all in the literature, too, from the 1800s up to the 1970s until everything got washed out by saying that meat and fat were, were evil. Um, but it's in the literature. People have been doing this for hundreds of years with fantastic results. And, um, you know, we're just sort of rediscovering all these things. Diabetes. Diabetes goes away. It just, it just stops existing. Like if you just, if you just, you know, it's talking about underlying causes and, you know, and basically getting these toxicities, and this is causing chronic disease. Diabetes is just is just carbohydrate poisoning, just alcohol, sugar, carbohydrate, you know, possibly seed oil poisoning, and this is just this is just destroying your body's mechanisms and ability to defend itself against hyperglycemia, because high blood sugar kills you. This is what kills diabetics. Those blood sugar, those glucose molecules, physically fused other molecules and damage them permanently called AGEs, advanced glycation end products. And uh, they, then they damage permanently these tissues. And this is why diabetics, when their blood sugar starts creeping up, they start getting leg amputations, 
uh, their kidneys start to fail, their heart starts to fail, their eyes start to fail, and then they die. That's from just having high blood sugar. So your body's trying to desperately keep that below that. Anthony, we have to we have to talk about weight loss too because there have been some phenomenal sure. uh, stories I've seen as I've been researching this. How people have been able to transform their bodies, lose the weight, build muscle mass, and uh, mm-hmm. basically have greater strength and uh, fertility and bone health. I mean, the list goes on and on, which is quite remarkable when you think about it. You know, this is it's, it's so profound what this diet can do, and yet we hear very little, and, and it's been demonized for so long as more of these um, YouTubes or these, these Netflix shows come out, you know, the China study and the twin study mm-hmm. that's out now, which is convincing yeah. people yeah. you've got to give up all meat and just go pure vegetable. Yeah. No, so, it's, it, it is it is a shame, yeah. Um, no, like the weight, the weight issues are dramatically improved as well. Um, there are a lot of people that have that you know come to a carnivore diet because they've tried every other diet to lose weight and, and nothing has worked, or the yo-yo diet, they lose weight at first and they plateau and they feel miserable and they're not nourished and they, um, you know, and they just can't maintain it and then they go back to how they were eating before and they gain back more weight than they lost. You know, what this does is, again, it's just you're eating what your body's supposed to eat and you're working the way you're supposed to work. That's tightly wrapped up in what I was talking about with with blood sugar because it is toxic. It is toxic to your body. Your body has to keep that below a certain level. And to do that, it, you raise insulin. As a, as a friend of mine, Dr. Gary Feck, who's an orthopedic surgeon, said that that blood sugar is, is, is over four grams. You only have four grams of glucose in your body at any given time. That's running all your physiological processes, just four grams. A level teaspoon of glucose, and just one extra gram is enough to to poison you and to and to eventually kill you. And so, one extra gram of glucose is a toxic level, and your body responds to it as a toxin by trying to detoxify by raising your insulin. And so, your body needs to raise insulin to get the blood sugar below four, or else you get serious damage. But raising your insulin causes a lot of other ancillary damage. Mm-hmm. It completely rearranges your entire metabolic system, puts you into a fat storage metabolism and, instead of a fat-using metabolism, and changes all your hormones you know, wait, and causes on, all these sorts wait, of problems. Hold on, Anthony. We have, about, we have about one minute left. I have to ask you one more question. What about people who are sure. type A who say they can't digest meat? Is that truth or is that a fallacy? Oh, oh blood type A? No, I'm type A. Yes. You know, so that, no, that's nonsense. My dad's type A. My mom's type, type O. Yeah, so it's like my my okay. dad's type A, my mom's type O. We're all type A. So like that's the thing. It's like, oh, your genetic past is more hunter gatherer. This is more agrarian. So it's like, so my mom is hunter gatherer, my dad's not. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So and then because I'm blood type A, all of a sudden I'm not. That doesn't make any sense. Like we're all humans. You know, the difference in your blood type is is expression of one protein on your red blood cells. That's not going to fundamentally change your entire species, organism, nutritional <laughs> desires and requirements, and your on your whole digestive tract. It's not going to stop you from needing B12. You can't get B12 from plants, and so all of a sudden your blood type A, so you don't need B12. So no, that's that's definitely not a thing. We're all hunter gatherers. That 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 is all of our past. One's a blood type A or blood type O. I mean, the blood types of lions don't change what it eats. It still eats gazelle, you know. So, you know, blood type of a dolphin or any other animal doesn't change what it eats. 
uh, food is species specific, not blood type specific. So it goes by it goes by species. And people say, well, everybody's different. Everyone has a different background. No, it doesn't matter. All lions are different little unique snowflakes too. But you take all the lions in the world and feed them gazelle or asparagus. You won't find out a single lion that does better on asparagus than gazelle. And that's the same for us. You will never find an example of two members of the same species that have different optimal diets, and that goes for us as well. Some of us are going to do better or worse on suboptimal food, like those who have come from agriculture and those who have been more recently introduced to it, but that doesn't change what is optimal. If you have two, two people that have different optimal diets, they are different species by definition, and so they wouldn't be people per se. They would just be different animals entirely. So this is such a fascinating subject. There's more we can talk about, and uh, it certainly changed my life, I have to say. Uh, learning about it and incorporating it for my healing journey, uh, it's been a revelation. I have to say it's been a revelation. Good. So if you want to learn more, and particularly the revelation is about MS, the fact that it's reversed MS, which is pretty mm. remarkable, you know. But yeah. we've come to the end of the show, Anthony, so I'm going to have to uh, – say goodbye. Um, if people want to know more, I really recommend that they go to your YouTube channel, look up Anthony Chafee, and I'll spell Chafee, C-H-A-F-F-E-E, or go to the website, howtocarnivore.com, and I believe there's a program there that people can learn about it and follow if they want. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so just the YouTube channel and the, and the website, and then I'm on social media and Instagram and things like that by just my name. Wonderful. Well, I, I so appreciate your time today and the inspiration that you have given to so many people, including me, and uh, uh, and our journeys to greater health and to be able to really transform our health, and however it's manifesting. And I encourage people, have an open mind, investigate it, and see if this could help you on your health journey. So, again, thank you so much, Anthony. It's been absolutely, uh, you know, such an expansive conversation. I so appreciate your passion and the wonderful work you're doing, and especially bringing this wisdom into your practice as a doctor. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. It's been wonderful. And to everyone listening, thanks again for joining me here on What Women Must Know. My guest today is Anne Chafee. We're talking about the journey and the benefit of a carnivore diet. And until Next time, always honor the wisdom of the feminine self. Bye for now.